I want to begin with a little question. Do you remember the story, there's a monster at the end of this book? Does anybody remember this story? This is, this is my copy of There's a Monster at the End of This Book. It was uh, copyrighted, this version was in 1977, and it was purchased for $1.87 from a store called Prangy Way. The monster at the end of this book is by, you know, the Muppets, Jim Henson. And the plot is quite simple. It stars Grover, who here on the first page reads the title of the book to you, but says it's a very dull page, only to, on the next page, ask, wait, what did it say? Did it say there was a monster at the end of this book? And then Grover goes on for all the pages of the book to do everything he can to keep you from getting to the end of the book. He is quite scared. He builds walls. He ties ropes. He finally begs you and pleads you not to get to the end of the book, only to find that at the end of the book, the monster is Grover himself. You see, there wasn't anything really to be afraid of after all. And that is, of course, one of the morals of the story. The thing we fear most sometimes is really not worth fearing all that much. And this book is perfectly suited for reading to your under five-year-old crowd. And to plant that seed that the things are never often as bad as we fear they would be. And I hope that you find that this sermon will not be as bad as you fear it might be. Because the preacher has to talk about financial giving and tithing. And Andy read about how we are stealing from God. And we sang about, imagine what we could do if we all tithed. Now the reason for this is because it's the fifth tenant of our church covenant that we are sharing in a sermon about today. The fifth tenant is is the one we may want to hear the least but may need to hear the most. And it goes like this, that as stewards of the Lord we will cheerfully contribute of our means as He has prospered us according to the plan recommended by the church for the maintenance of a faithful and evangelical ministry among us for the relief of the destitute and in cooperation with Baptists for his extension for the extension of his kingdom to all of the world in the spirit of that tenant it is easy to see why we choose Malachi and the call for us to bring the whole tithe to the storehouse and now we hear a sermon or a, a scripture reading from Mark that challenges us to really ask that question, what does belong to us? Whose is it anyway? And do we trust God enough to do what it is God asks us to do with all that God has blessed us with? Consider at least those two things as we turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, verses 13 through 17. 
Then they sent to him, to Jesus, some Pharisees and some Herodians to trap him in what he said. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are sincere and show deference to no one, for you do not regard people, regard people with partiality, but teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? Should we pay them or not? But knowing their hypocrisy, Jesus says to them, Why are you putting me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me see it. They brought one and he said to them, Whose head is this? Whose title? They answered, The emperor's. Jesus said to them, Give to the emperor the things that are the emperor's and to God the things that are God." And they were utterly amazed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now the fifth tenet of our covenant says that we will give according to the church's giving plan. And so let me be clear that our giving plan is, as the kids say, OG. It's old school. The church's plan reflects a biblical instruction to, and, and practice to bring 10% of all that we earned, all that we have been blessed with, all that we have been given and entrusted with, to, to bring that back to God through the church. No, not because the church is greedy, but because the church is the modern day expression and fulfillment of the temple where the people of God were to bring their full tithe to God in the temple. This practice reflects a, a biblical, historical, and, and, and traditional way of seeing uh, how it is we support God's work in the world with the financial gifts that we have been given. We take the instruction from Malachi, who didn't start the practice. Rather, he's just the minor prophet who, kind of late in Israel's history, is reiterating that this is our practice. And we are to do it. And when we don't, as he says, are you stealing from God? And how about if you don't steal, you see how I will care for you and bless you. If you give the tithe like I ask. Malachi clearly connects to that fifth tenet of the covenant. But from the gospel of Mark, we are called, I think, to share all that we have with open hands. From the gospel of Mark, I think we're reminded that all of this is God's. Our stuff, our money, our resources, our talents, they are not just ours to hold on to, to keep, to hide it under a bushel. No. They're given to us by God so we can be faithful with them and practice faithfulness to God who gave them to us in the first place. And if we see that, as I've already sort of used the language to reflect, if we see that all we have already comes from God, it should be no problem to tithe. Because to quote a deacon like Andy and most deacons who 
stand here and pray on Sunday morning before we share the offertory, God is just asking for a portion back of what has already been given to us. And though it's simplistic, if someone gave you $10 with the condition that they were going to ask for one of those dollars back, you wouldn't have a problem taking nine and running, would you? But far too often, with what we have, we're afraid to tithe back to God. I think it's fear. And I wonder, what are we afraid of? Why do we use so much language about how God has blessed us, but then forget to tithe? Why do we pray so hard about what it is we want God to do for us, but then treat our checkbooks like Grover treats the book, hoping we never get to the end of it, afraid that, oh, afraid of what we would find? Are we afraid that God hasn't given us enough? Are we afraid that God won't be as faithful to us when we tithe? as God has already been by giving us all that we have? Or are we just so caught up in spending someone else's money that it's fun to pretend it's our own? I think we need to know what we're afraid of when it comes to tithing so you can, we can understand what keeps us from tithing. If we know why we avoid being generous, and while we avoid doing the generous acts that God has asked us to do, maybe we can work on what keeps us from being generous followers of God. Now, if I can change gears for just a second to talk about the church and, and money, I need to confess that the church does a pretty good job of mixing up the conversation about stewardship and finances and being faithful and paying the bills. I'm sure that in the days to come we will continue to mess it up. Not because we want to, not because we're trying to, but because we're human. But let me try for just a moment to make a few things clear. First, I believe we're called as Christian people to give back a tithe through the church. And though time doesn't permit why I would say that, that, that our tithe is different than our personal philanthropy or tithing our money is, is different than tithing our time, the reality is we should just tithe because God does tell us to do that. But often the church mixes that conversation of how you exercise faithfulness financially with what it takes for us to pay the bills. You see, the covenant is concerned with two things, but it holds them so close together it's hard to make a distinction. The covenant is concerned with your spiritual life and your tithing. But the covenant also says that as members of Oxford Baptist Church, we are going to support the ministries and missions of God in the world through our financial gifts. So we have a church budget that allows us to do things like pay a staff, keep the lights on when the power is connected, 
purchase Sunday school quarterlies, cover all kinds of expenses, and give money to ministries throughout our community and world that help the destitute and extend God's mission. And so, yes, the the church as an organization and an institution needs you to be generous to support those things that help the ministries of the church keep going and function and grow and change and and hopefully continually meet the needs of a, a community that needs to connect to the kingdom of God. But, but oftentimes, because this... Well, because talking about tithing feels like a monster at the end of a book. The church only talked about money when the bank account balance got kind of low. Or we were running kind of far behind on what it was going to take to cover the expenses. It's only when we're about to bounce some checks that we appeal to your generosity which disconnects the fact that you need to tithe as God's child from how does the church pay its bills. Because your your spiritual stewardship, doing what God's called you to do, certainly helps us pay the bills. But just thinking, okay, how do I be faithful enough to help the church pay the bills isn't big enough. For what God wants to do. Now lest you think I am interested in growing a gigantic enterprise here. I don't necessarily believe that we need Oxford Baptist Church to be a multi-million dollar enterprise. We don't need your tithe so that we can grow the church's budget as big as possible. But we do need one another to be faithful so that we can do what it is God's called us to do, care for the destitute who God has placed in our world, our lives, and connect to God's work in the world in a meaningful way. This is what our covenant wants for us. This is what we say we're going to do with and for one another as we are a part of this church together. This is what the covenant wants as the way for us to become repeatedly and regularly faithful when it comes to the gifts God has given us. And if you remember back to that which Andy read, when we become faithful with our finances, I think we'll grow spiritually and God will take care of us. When we become financially faithful, our church's commitment to God's work in others' lives and in our community becomes enriched. And when we become financially faithful, I don't think we get to the end of a checkbook and find an emptied bank account. Because there's not a monster lurking back there to take everything from us. Rather, what we get find at the end is a life that was enriched and fulfilled. Because not only did we use our time and our talents and our energy the way God wanted us to, we used our financial gifts as well. And God responded to all of the ways that we were faithful to Him. 
I want to close this morning with another gospel reading and a a devotional reading from a a devotional that I read on September 24th by Joshua Du Bois. The devotional is called Situational Obedience, and it's based on Luke chapter 16, which you may not have memorized, so I'm going to read it for you. He answered, I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, if they have Moses and the prophets, let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, the man said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And Abraham says, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone raises from the dead. The devotion is short, and it is this. So often we think that if God does one more miracle, answers one more request, then we'll trust and obey. Just prove yourself one more time, Lord, we say. Show me evidence of your power on this occasion and I'll never forget it. But it doesn't work that way. Jesus told the story of a man burning in torment who begged Father Abraham to allow him to return to the earth and warn his brothers so that they would avoid the same fate. Abraham declined the man's request because Abraham knew that even if these brothers saw their own resurrected sibling they would still not change their ways. We must avoid making our obedience situational, depending on some miraculous action of God. Either we belong to Him and follow His instructions, or we don't. Let's not make God prove His worth. It's a... That showed up on a Monday this this time. (laughs) It was a stunning way to get back into the morning routine. And I, but I couldn't help but, but connect it to the way we often think about money. Because, because so often we think, when I get a little more, I'll give a little more. If I hit the Powerball, I'll give the church everything it needs to cover the roof and shore up the basement. When things finally get going, I'll have enough. But all of these notions are short-sighted because he who is not faithful in little cannot be faithful in much. And because that's based on thinking what we have is ours to begin with. And, and is it? Our time, our, our gifts, our talents, all we have has been given to us by God. Our job is to give some of it back to God and use the rest the way that we're called. Not just when it's easy, not just when someone's watching, and, and not just right at the end, before it's too late. God has given it to us now, and we need to be faithful now, so that we won't look back and wish we had done things differently like the man in this book does. We need to be faithful now to craft a legacy of generosity, that puts God's power at work with us and through us and around us. The call of God is that we should tithe from what we have been given. 
The covenant that we've made with one another is that we will give faithfully and generously. And the reality is, you can start right now. We can and should begin today if we haven't already. We can give generously to God with what we have now, and God will bless us in our generosity and will help us to fulfill our covenant with one another even more richly. And in that, God will bless the world also. But too often we treat the conversation like Grover, afraid to get to the end of the book. Or we organize our life around situational obedience, thinking when we get it, then we'll give it. But the reality is the call of faithfulness begins now. We can work on our generosity right now. And if we trust that the God who has met all of our needs before will meet them again, I believe God will show himself to be beyond generous with each one of us because he has already always been that way. Will you pray with me? Loving and holy God, we give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks for the chance to be together. And we give you thanks for all the many ways you have blessed us and kept us. You've shaped us and you've cared for us. And now, Lord, open our hearts so that we can bless and care for others and we can, we can respond to you the way you call us to. Oh, Lord, help us to have the wisdom and the courage to respond to you as you call us to. And may that start today. This, O oh Lord, we pray in your name. Amen.